The Hamlet Podcast, episode 135. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. We reach the end of another scene this week as we conclude Act 4, Scene 5 of the play. Ophelia has just departed and perhaps Gertrude too. Maybe Horatio also and indeed any other hangers-on or attendants who have witnessed Ophelia's mental collapse. Now it's just Laertes and Claudius in the spotlight. Now that his sister is gone, Laertes can try to give voice to what he has just seen. Do you see this, O oh God? It's not even a complete line of verse. There's room for a pause on either side of it, and it's just such a lost, anguished response that of course it doesn't even fill the ten syllables of a normal line. How could it? Claudius might have been making progress with Laertes, managing to calm his anger a little bit, but Ophelia's entrance interrupted them. Fearing that he'll have to start on this process again, he's quick to try to manage the situation. Rather than any sympathy or acknowledgement that yes, it really is terrible that this woman has lost her mind, he's trying to work it all to his advantage. Laertes, I must commune with your grief, or you deny me right. Go but apart, make choice of whom your wisest friends you will, and they shall hear and judge twixt you and me. If, by direct or by collateral hand, they find us touched, we will our kingdom give, our crown, our life, and all that we call ours, to you in satisfaction. But if not, be you content to lend your patience to us, and we shall jointly labour with your soul to give it due content. Laertes, he says, I must commune or commune with your grief. Shakespeare seems to be elasticating the word here. Claudius wants either to discuss this grief with Laertes or make the point that he shares in it. Both readings work, since Polonius was a trusted advisor, and so the grief is common to them both. Claudius gets the hook in by insisting that if Laertes won't communicate, he's denying Claudius's right. He's pointing out that you can't really say no to the king. Go but apart, he says. Let's discuss this elsewhere. If there are any people left on stage, this is too public a place for them to be discussing this. They'll talk in private, off the record perhaps. He tells Laertes to make choice of whom your wisest friends you will, and they shall hear and judge twixt you and me. He gives the option of bringing in some friends to arbitrate, to weigh the situation. Claudius likes the idea of wisest friends. He told Gertrude earlier in this act that they would call on their wisest friends also. But surely their actual wisest friend was Polonius, and he is no longer an option for advice or counsel. Does Laertes actually have any friends besides his supporters in the distracted multitude? The idea is that these friends, whoever they are, will be able to judge whether Claudius was in any way involved in Polonius's demise. Claudius didn't do it, so he can quite confidently say that if by direct or by collateral hand they find us touched, we will our kingdom give, our crown, our life, and all that we call ours to you in satisfaction. That's a lot to promise. Our kingdom, our crown, our life, and all that we call ours. We in the audience know that Hamlet did it, so of course there's no question that Claudius is, 
in this at least, quite innocent. The image of direct or collateral hand touching Claudius is quite ominous. Ordinarily, if you're touched by any abstract hand, it might be the hand of God in a blessing. But here it's the hand of guilt, of murder leaving its mark. Claudius is very convincing, because for once we can be sure he's telling the truth, and that he won't have to give up any of these things he's promising at all. These promises go even further. If these friends of Laertes do not find that he is guilty, he asks for him to be content to lend your patience to us, and we shall jointly labour with your soul to give it due content. He says content twice. He's still working on Laertes, pushing these words, calming him down. Content yourself. If you don't find me guilty, be content and work with me. Jointly labour with me. It's almost hypnotic, the amount of suggestion that Shakespeare threads through this little speech. It's what makes Claudius such an interesting antagonist. The speech ends with a half line, and the rhythm of the previous lines has been so metrical that our ears want the line to be completed, like a musical phrase waiting for a chord to resolve. However long Laertes takes to say it, and the structure seems to suggest that it should be sooner rather than later, none of us can really exhale until he agrees. Let this be so. To give it due content, let this be so. Claudius has him where he wants him. Although Laertes isn't a total pushover, he has other questions too. His means of death, his obscure funeral, no trophy, sword, nor hatchment o'er his bones, no noble rite nor formal ostentation, cry to be heard, as twere from heaven to earth, that I must call it in question. Laertes isn't satisfied with the knowledge that Claudius wasn't involved. But maybe that's all Laertes really knows. What about how Polonius died, his means of death? And there's the issue of why Polonius, a very, very senior statesman, seems to have been buried so quickly with his obscure funeral. As far as Laertes has heard, Polonius was buried with no trophy, sword, nor hatchment or his bones, no noble rite nor formal ostentation. The hatchment would have been a kind of shield or a placard bearing the family's coat of arms. These kinds of formalities aren't really a part of our world anymore, but they were a very big deal in Shakespeare's England, as we discussed quite a long time ago. For Polonius to have been laid to rest without any of these ceremonial honours or formal ostentation seems to Laertes like an insult. Why was it so? His means of death, his obscure funeral, cry to be heard, as twere, from heaven to earth, that I must call it in question. Laertes, assuming his father is in heaven, feels as though all these details are insisting that he, the son, question everything. The call is coming from heaven to earth. What actually happened? It isn't as dramatic as the manner in which Hamlet's dead father insists that he avenge his death by any means. It's quite pedestrian by comparison. But I do really like the little detail that while Hamlet has to wrestle with the idea of his father in purgatory being tortured for his sins until he has atoned, Laertes can assume his father is in heaven. The comparison between the two is blinker you'll miss it small, but it's there. Again, Shakespeare is creating tension by having the two characters sharing the lines so that our ears crave completion. Laertes ends his speech saying that I must call it in question. 
the line needs three more syllables, and Claudius answers, so you shall. That I must call it in question, so you shall. Of course, it's a choice for the actors to be making, allowing for the tension in the scene and the relationship between the two characters. But it's as well to know that these options are built into the text. Claudius takes the reins again, and in fact, those three syllables are followed by a line that provides a rhyming couplet, rather like a full stop to end the scene. So you shall, and where the offence is, let the great axe fall. I want you to question everything, he's saying, and let's be sure that whoever is guilty of killing your father must be executed for it. The image of a great axe immediately makes us think of an executioner chopping off heads. We know that Hamlet is responsible for Polonius's death. Not for the first time, we see Claudius actively planning to have Hamlet killed. He's grooming Laertes to want to kill Hamlet. As we realise that this is the case, he exits, bringing Laertes with him. I pray you, he says, go with me. Off they go, and we reach the end of Act 4, Scene 5. For the next episode, there'll be something rather different. Maybe the only instance of a scene that appears only in the quarto text of the play. It's an interesting little moment that happens between Gertrude and Horatio, and so we'll take a look at that next time, before we catch up with what's been happening to Hamlet. Thank you, as always, for listening, and do be sure to check out the website, thehamletpodcast.com, for extra information, show notes, and access to all previous episodes. Stay safe, mind yourselves, and I'll speak to you next time.